Hi, this is Mandy Griffin. And I'm Katie Swalwell. And welcome to Our Dirty Laundry. Stories of white ladies making a mess of things. And how we need to clean up our act. everybody welcome to our dirty laundry it's mandy it's katie welcome to our podcast you missed a giant yawn from mandy (laughs) right before she started recording hold on let me do this real quick and (laughs) we're back (laughs) there's this book i read to thea at night um stop that yawn it's this really cute children's book and every i honestly i'm going to start yawning just even thinking about it the character the grandma is reading like putting her to bed and she yawns and then it causes like all the people in never sleep town or whatever it's called like this little girl's (laughs) trying to stop that yawn and even just like seeing illustrations of characters yawning makes me yawn every time i read it what is that i don't understand how that works they're contagious yeah but even like a drawing of it honestly okay (laughs) (laughs) now i'm gonna I'm going to do it next. Exhaustion. It's real. Good. I mean, you know, I can't believe this year is ending. I think we said that before. It's insane. I still feel like 2019 (laughs) is before time. I know. What? Yeah. Yeah. All is well. My my kids are getting their second um, vaccine today. So I'm excited uh, about that. A couple envious. weeks out from being protected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm relieved for sure. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's We're happy. Hopefully they will do it for the younger kids soon. Bringing up the rear here. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, still mm-hmm. not going inside anywhere. <laughs> like doing anything <laughs> fine. That's it. <gasps> Just living our best basement lives right now. Um, (laughs) We're okay. We're okay. It's going to be totally fine. Uh, Well, today um, we were just talking about how we think the next couple weeks, we know uh, not for everybody, but for us, it is a holiday season that is filled with family obligations and travel, et cetera. And we don't want to not have episodes, but we also are stretched really thin right now. So we have been thinking so much about our interviews with um, Susan and Kara from Mm -hmm. thinking about like women's health, reproductive rights, eugenics, all of that. It was a really great conversation. And then our interview with Brie, which was all about organizing and activism just in general, that came at the end of our first season. So we are going to replay those episodes. And I know you might have listened to them already, but maybe some of you are new here and you haven't gotten to that part of the podcast yet we want to replay them and even if you have heard them please listen again because there's so much wisdom so much insight that they have it's we think that they're going to be perfectly timed reminder episodes for sure yes yeah so we will get those up today we're going to do kind of a mini-sode I bet it ends up being like a a full full throttle. It probably is. Let's not (laughs) lie. Who knows? If you're new here, (laughs) we can't stop talking about the ways that white women are shitty. This Uh, we are two childhood friends that are identify as white, cis, straight, affluent women, and our people have been complicit in all sorts of fuckery. So we feel it's our obligation to, at the very least, know these histories baseline level that's the expectation and then that we actually do something about it so they don't repeat themselves and that's what we're trying to learn about and hold each other accountable for and you know 
help anybody listening. So we're really glad you all are here and don't hesitate to reach out. I know our social media presence right now is piss poor. (laughs) We need to get better because I really believe in what we're doing. And I think that there is a huge audience for it. So I promise you, I've got a cousin who's young and hip and cool, and she (laughs) is a devoted fan and has offered to help us with like TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. And I don't even know what platforms. So I feel like TikTok necessitates some video. I have not consented to this yet. <laughs> I, I know. That means we have to like bathe, comb our hair. I know, get dressed. No. Oh. Okay. I All am right. wearing we'll do it. like a professional top that I wore for work this morning and then definitely not professional bottoms. I will not scan down, but it looks like very put together on top. And then if you were to see what's happening underneath, you would not. Below. Think awesome. Yep. Awesome. Yes. Well, I do love how when we started talking about doing mini-sodes too, because we were doing just the once-a-week episodes, and then I was like, we can do these little mini-topics. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we'll make them like 10 minutes, like maybe 15. <laughs> I was like, what? I love that. We I don't think we've done one under 20 minutes like ever. But <laughs> I know. And I know they've slowed down in the last few weeks. It's just because our lives are getting bananas. It's not – do not mistake it. It's not because there's less content. It's oh, no. not because white women have gotten their shit together and aren't like, mm-hmm. you know, creating news stories for us to rage about. They are for sure. If anything – it's gotten worse in the last few months. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, we definitely are, are backed up in that regard. But um, email yeah. us if you've got topics or things you want us to, to talk about. I'm Katie, K-A-T-Y, at com, And Mandy is also with a Y, M-A-N-D-Y, <laughs> at ourdirtylaundrypodcast.com. So, yeah. yeah, send us some ideas, send us some comments, and as always, share with your friends, like on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you listen. Um, Subscribe. Like we said, we know that this like is a very important issue. All mm-hmm. of these things that we talk about are really eye-opening things, and, mm-hmm. and they shouldn't be. And so we're trying to make them more well-known, and we would love you to share them with mm-hmm. anyone you think would be interesting. Mm-hmm. So... We're going to um, do a mini-sode, though, because I know we mentioned when we were wrapping up the book club discussion last week, um, or the last episode we put out, and there was this one part that we didn't cover because we didn't have time to really go into it, and we knew that there was more to it. Mm-hmm. And so today we're going to cover this part in the book that we've been talking about, and for anyone who doesn't remember or is just jumping in. It's Women of Color and the Reproductive Rights Movement by Jennifer Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was this section that, that was bonkers. I mean, so much of it was, but <laughs> that really came out of left field for me, like zero idea that any of this had happened at all. Yeah. And it was on occupational health and safety. So we were talking about CARASA, which is the Coalition Against Reproductive something Reproductive and sterilization abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah. We're terrible with acronyms. It's yes. a long thing. It's a long acronym. Anyway, <laughs> they um, were working on all of these things and trying to have this like multi focused approach to talking about women's reproductive rights and um, the different groups that they could get involved with it. And so there was one topic that they got into apparently. In the workplaces in probably 60s, 70s, this specific incident was 1978. There 
was a history of mandatory sterilization of working women of reproductive age who were working in environments where they were exposed to hazardous materials on the job. Mm-hmm. I had no idea mm-hmm. like, I didn't that either. this was even a thing mm-hmm. and that it was occurring in 1978. Mm-hmm. So the case that they talk about and that Carasa got involved in was with a company named American Cyanamid. That's how we're saying it. We don't know. <laughs> um, and <laughs> they, I mean, I thought of... For- at first, with that name, I was like, Cyanide? Did I, know. Cyanide? <laughs> I know. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Apparently, this is a paint factory. And they were one of their factories was located in Willow Island, West Virginia. And they manufactured paint that contained lead chromate. So, lead paint. Still a thing. Then why was lead ever in paint? Yeah. These are things that no. I don't know. These are histories I don't understand. But instead of determining that lead was dangerous and maybe they should just take it out of paint and find something else to put in there, their answer to potentially uh, exposing women who could potentially be pregnant, not that they were, not that they had even... Mm-hmm. any business in asking any of this, but they had this policy that if you were going to be a female of reproductive age working in this factory, you could keep your job or transfer to a lower paying job that was safe from toxic materials. But in order to keep your job, you had to agree to be sterilized. I guess as a way of protecting the company against being sued later. I mean, of course, they're going to say it's to protect fetal life. They said it was to life. protect fetuses, blah, blah, blah. potential fetuses. So they were thinking like, good for us. Look at us being so conscientious of public health as they're pumping <laughs> toxins into rivers. Into I'll talk pace. a little bit more about in like debate. Yeah, they're yeah. That the application of concern for public health is a very narrow application in this company's history. But yes, they that was surprise, surprise. Yeah, they limit it to fetal, (laughs) fetal preborn life, potential, yeah, potential fetal pre Mm -hmm. not born life, and completely ignore anything else that might affect uh, people's lives. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's shocking. Um, So. In this specific um, department, there were, I think, seven women who were employed. And Mm -hmm. so two of those women left the department and went into janitorial positions that paid less. And then five of the women decided to be sterilized. Mm -hmm. And apparently this, like, was just a totally accepted way of doing things and also happened, which I don't have details of. Maybe this is something you looked into. Um reportedly in both Dow Chemical and General Motors had these policies too of sterilizing women or they had to move to lower paying jobs. Um, So this was just how things went about until a union came along, the Oil, Chemical and Atomic Workers Union that discovered this policy and this agreement and what had happened. And they filed a complaint with OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, and then a year later, American Cyanamid closed the paint factory and fired the women who had been sterilized. Then those women sued the company for gender discrimination and thank the Lord or whoever they won. So that's a 
surprising. But it's more well. complicated. We will talk but, about this. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And so this is one of the ways that then Carasa entered into like some of these workplace um, areas. And we're trying to talk to women about making reproductive rights in the workplace more mm-hmm. of a focus mm-hmm. in a way that they thought that they could target um, this class of working women to get um, involved in reproductive rights. But I know that you have a bunch more details on this part. So I'm very interested because this was bonkers. Well, so I was even thinking like, oh, we're going to have a mini. So that actually isn't really about white women. It's because I about white women being shitty because it's like mm-hmm. this kind of off story. But, oh, why would I ever? <laughs> why would I ever think it's not connected? So it definitely <laughs> connects in the weirdest strangest ways so what i felt a little bit like beautiful mind where i have this like map of things with yarn strings i need to just start keeping this in my office of like how all these things connect and these characters keep popping up in our stories so we are going to learn about tonight we're going to talk about florence kennedy again we're going to talk about susan b anthony again The title of my notes for this is didn't see this one coming. So (laughs) I didn't anticipate the connections that, that I stumbled across. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I, these are some of this research I have to say, like started with Wikipedia, take it for what you will, but it was, I just wanted a little bit more background on American cyanamide, cyanamide, Mm -hmm. however we say it, C-Y-A-N-A-M-I-D. Yeah. Okay. So it was founded in 1907. They, at the time of this court case in the like seventies and eighties, they were one of the U.S.'s top one hundred manufacturing companies. Of course, it's been like merged, sold, spun off. You know how that mm-hmm. happens with corporations. So the bulk of what used to be American Cyanamid is now part of Pfizer, but other mm-hmm. parts were bought up by like Procter and Gamble and other companies. Um, which we already talked about Gamble, right? With his uh-huh. involvement with Puerto Rico and reproductive Rico, rights, right? So these like big yeah. chemical companies, I feel like is a little bit like red flaggy to begin with. So they yeah. um, initially started off as agricultural chemicals, but then got into all sorts of industrial chemicals, synthetic fibers, pharmaceuticals, surgical products, plastics, inorganic pigments, and mm-hmm. then cosmetics, toiletries, perfumes, etc. Um, Hmm. in fact, this case, because it had to do with paint, made me think of this book I read a while back called Radium Girls, The Dark Story of America's Shining Women by Kate Moore. Have you seen this book or heard of this book? Uh -uh. It was honestly like a super fascinating story. I wasn't enthralled with the writing. It's like every chapter kind of felt like the same chapter, but the story was really shocking. It was um, in Illinois, and then there was a factory somewhere else to this little town in Illinois. You, it's you know, I've actually vacationed in this little town, and there's a statue for these women, and there's still like radium sites there because they used radium to paint, like glow in the dark paint for watches and for like military products and things. So these women would paint the radium paint onto the faces of the watches and then like lick the brush to get it pointed Mm. and then dip it in Mm. and like yeah so if you're like licking radium all day every day at work not great for your health right and so all these women had like grotesque horrific deaths and they were all in their young 20s and they were all like from these poor families and they were trying to make money for their family and needed money for their family you know like 
young working women trying yeah. to make a living. And it, it just like the ways that the government looked the other way, the like the denial of what was happening to these women, even though everybody could see what was happening to them was really, really horrifying and how the company tried yeah. to cover it up. And it's I mean, again, the story is absolutely fascinating, even if the book is like a little repetitive. So Radium Girls, check it out. So wow. point mm. being like paint problems for ladies is like a bigger situation apparently than just this yeah. but um this company um their pharmaceutical division has produced centrum which i'm familiar with as a multivitamin <laughs> yeah. um there were also products like old spice cologne brack shampoo mm -hmm. pine saw household cleaner um like perfumes and colognes and stuff i don't know i there were some other things they recognized but basically that they were yeah. also in trouble for pumping a ton of waste into uh, Bound Brook in the Raritan River in New Jersey for like decades. And mm. they became these toxic chemical waste sites. There are super sites where it's like, the, you know, incredibly expensive, if not impossible to clean up. So they're just like on all fronts, really doing great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just winning at corporate America. Just winning. <laughs> um, they, in 1994, they merged with American Home Products. And then they that company changed its name to Wyeth Corporation, which then merged with Pfizer. It's hard to keep track of all this. And I like, I could it's just like hard to really care at a certain point. You're like, it's all just one big billionaire's club. Like, who knows? So mm -hmm. um, one little fun fact that the original... Um, headquarters in Wayne, New Jersey became the headquarters of Toys R Us. Fun mm. fact. All okay. right. So they've, the court case that we're most interested in is this one about the occupational hazards in the forced sterilization. I mean, we say forced sterilization, like technically it was a quote choice, but they were like, right. either you can not have a job, you can get paid less, or you can get sterilized. Like for women that needed that money, that's a right, really not a difficult choice, position really. to be put in. And that mm -hmm. all happened. The policy um, was initiated in 1978 at the chemical plant in Willow Island, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And there is an article we will link to by Richard Lewis in the Pennsylvania Law Review, I think written in like the mid 80s, that mm -hmm. basically goes into the decision and then rips into why this the author, whose name is Richard Lewis, why he thinks the decision was wrong. Um because what ends up happening, um, are you familiar with Robert Bork? I don't think so, but maybe. I bet when Tell I start me. talking about him that you will remember him. Um, okay. He gets involved. Okay. So the basically the, the decision gets, it initially is found in favor of the women. And then, of course, the company appeals it and it goes on to district court. And then Robert Bork is this appeals court judge who sides with the company okay so ultimately not a win for the ladies even though mm. they initially the first decision was in their favor okay so robert bork who's the guy who and i'll tell you a little bit more about his decision um well what i can start with that because <laughs> he's a real gem like no matter where we start <laughs> this is going to be super interesting Okay, so there's a lot to get into with Robert Bork, but basically he, I'll tell you how we got to this position. He was on the um, 
court of appeals for DC, the like a circuit court. I think I'm saying mm-hmm. all of this right. I know there's different levels of judgery. So <laughs> he ends up getting nominated for the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan. And mm-hmm. I, I, we'll get into this, but he ends up not getting a Supreme Court yeah. seat. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was super hot, current event, controversial that actually had so many echoes to today. I couldn't even believe it. But at the hearing when he's, you know, in front of the conf- like the confirmation hearing in front of the Senate, there was a Senator Metzenbaum who is questioning him about this specific ruling. There's a whole lot to question him about at this hearing mm-hmm. that comes out. But on this particular ruling, um, Bork explained his decision He's an originalist of the Constitution, and he's one of the founding fathers of that logic. He says, um, it wasn't a pro-sterilization opinion. It isn't an anti-women opinion. It is simply upholding a federal agency decision. It's important to understand the context in which this case arose. Um, and this is his like testimony at the hearing. Um, the company was confronted with unattractive alternatives, remove all women from the department, or author continuous employment in the department to women who were sterilized. And I started laughing, like, those are their only options? Yeah, are you why, kidding me? Why are those the only options? <laughs> yeah, like, what? Like, well, we couldn't possibly stop using incredibly dangerous poisonous chemicals. Yeah. Like, that's not an option. <laughs> like, yeah. what? Um, then he says some chose sterilization, some did not. If they had not been offered that choice, these women would have been given lower paying jobs or they would have been discharged. And actually, so he has this hearing. That he says this, and then a few hours after that hearing, the senator's office, Senator Metzenbaum, who had posed the questions originally, gets a telegram from one of the five women who had been sterilized in this case, um, who is not happy with Bork's ruling or his statements at this hearing. So the next day, Metzenbaum reads it into the record, and it says, quote, I cannot believe that Judge Bork thinks we were glad to have the choice of getting sterilized or getting fired. This is Betty J. Riggs of Harrisville, West Virginia. I was only 26 years old, but I had to work, so I had no choice. And Bork goes... It was certainly a terrible thing for that lady. I think it was a wrenching case, a wrenching decision for her, a wrenching decision for us. (sighs) Metzenbaum replies... You wrote an opinion that said it's okay for a company to achieve safety at the expense of women by preventing its female employees from ever having children. That's a distortion of the statute beyond recognition. It's inhumane. And Bork just kept saying that his um, decision wasn't an endorsement of sterilization and that he his opinion suggested the company's policy might be an unfair labor practice under federal anti-discrimination laws, but that was an issue like litigated in another court. And mm-hmm. his last quote, I suppose the five women who chose to stay on that job and chose sterilization, I suppose they were glad to have that choice. Uh. Okay. So <laughs> this is Robert Bork. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In my notes, I said, Robert Bork decided the case. He is an asshole across every issue we've ever talked about <laughs> thus far. <laughs> so here we go. So he, um, I think, was born in Pennsylvania. I can't remember. He's an only child. His mom was a teacher. His dad was like a agent for a steel company or something. He starts off, he grew up in a majority Republican town, and it sounds like he just liked being the stinker, like the the provocateur wherever he was. Mm -hmm. So he would take these more liberal positions. It sounded like just kind of to agitate, like piss people off in his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then he gets involved, um, identifies as a socialist. He's like 
involved in very, very leftist politics, then somehow gets starts being mentored by Milton Friedman's brother-in-law, who hooks him like a guru in libertarianism um, and gets mm-hmm. him thinking about becoming a lawyer and like just like sets him down this path and it kind of converts him to these other ways of thinking. So mm-hmm. he gets involved in, in, um, law. I think he's going to, he went to the university of Chicago for undergrad and then goes to law school. I can't remember where, maybe there, um, wrote an article in the new Republic in 1963, attacking the public accommodations bill that was going through Congress. That was like the anti-discrimination pro civil rights bill. He's not okay with it. Starting off well. Starting off great. (laughs) And he warns that the bill would represent, quote, an extraordinary incursion into individual freedom and opens up possibilities of governmental coercion on similar principles. And so he um, takes this really public stance against the 1963 Public Accommodations Act, um, which made it illegal to refuse to serve black people. He's Against that, to be clear, mm-hmm. um, he writes a critique of the constitutionality of the Civil Rights Act for Republican presidential nominee Barry Goldwater in 1964 and then declares himself in favor um, of like sep- he goes to England for a while and then comes back and then he's like, you know, I'm actually in favor of equal access to public accommodations. My bad. But it's it just is so incredibly frustrating to like know that these documents that like the letters he wrote, the articles he wrote, the work, the law work he did was all like, well, the you know, if we look at the constitution, it says we can't do these things. And it just reminded mm-hmm. me so much of what's going on right now. Yeah. And the, yeah. the ideology that's on the, the majority of the Supreme the court. court has and the ways in which the attacks on Roe are actually not even just about reproductive rights. They're about so much more than that. And Mm -hmm. it's about this idea that like, well, who are we to say someone can't serve somebody if they don't like that they're black? Like, you know, it's this same idea. So he becomes a lawyer at a firm in Chicago. Um, he, (laughs) He and a friend, this is totally apropos of nothing. Like it doesn't really matter, but I just thought it was so weird. He apparently fantasized about writing mysteries and they came up with this character named Dirk Dork who would be a detective. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Very creative. What? Way to go, guys. <laughs> yeah, apparently the first book was going to be about a murder that took place in a law firm and like Dick, Dirk Dork saves the day and I just can't Dick, get but over. I think Dick Dork is <laughs> Dick, whatever. Dick Dork, Robert Dick Bork Dork. is all the same. Um, <laughs> knowing your background in the LDS church, does this name sound mm-hmm. familiar? Dallin Oaks? Do you know who that is? <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Tell me. I mean, Dallin Oaks is next up in line to be leader of the church when the current one dies. Well, they were good He's... friends. They were buddies. Oh, shocker. Okay. Not at all. No. Yeah, not at all shocked whatsoever. Okay. I mean, Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that I think Dallin Oaks wrote. And he was in a, he is or was an attorney, too, when he was practicing. Yeah, that's how they, were, they became friends as um, attorneys. I think he's written some really troubling uh, opinions of things or briefs or something like that. And then he has, he's got some, some really disturbing connections to different groups. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Great. very aware. Mm-hmm. So there, they were buds, bud, bud, mm-hmm. buds. 
Um, so yeah, this idea of like original constitutionalism didn't being reasons to push against civil rights act. He was also pro poll tax because it didn't really affect the welfare of the country. Um, like, yeah, <laughs> put it on the list. He, Yale oh law school gosh. hires him as a professor in 1962. So good for Yale. And, oh, um, then he's, so he's a professor there. And again, like, I think was like, fancies himself like a provocateur you know like he's going to mm-hmm. be there to spout ideas that like agitate people or piss them off or whatever and it my read on was he that's he kind of likes that like we probably all mm-hmm. know somebody we're thinking of yeah, them yeah. right now who's this way in 1968 <laughs> he wrote an article in the new republic again another one um supporting richard nixon's um campaign for president and nixon noticed that and so at the start of his second term he appoints borks to be solicitor general and the justice department's chief advocate before the supreme that that's the rule is like you're the chief advocate before the supreme court okay then here is where i also had heard about him because there are a bunch of great podcasts out about Watergate. There's a really good one about Spyro Agnew called Bagman that was super interesting. There's just a bunch that came out in the last couple of years looking back at Watergate. I think when people were looking at Trump's presidency, they were thinking about Nixon's presidency and comparing them. Mm-hmm. So there's this famous event called the Saturday Night Massacre, which is when Nixon – I can't remember all the details, honestly, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't go back to look at them. But basically, he is trying to get like shady shit pushed through. And – a bunch of people in his off in the executive branch are saying no, like they've got some ethical standards. Nixon wanted to fire Watergate's special prosecutor, Archibald Cox. So Congress had appointed this special prosecutor to look into what was happening with Watergate, which yeah, yeah. was the break in that is super legal and like what basically led to the downfall of Richard Nixon, even though he did a yeah. whole bunch of other shady shit. So Archibald Cox was a special prosecutor and Nixon tried to fire him to shut down the investigation. Hmm. And the attorney general, um, Elliot Richardson, refused to do it. So then Richard Mm -hmm. fired Elliot Richardson. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. the the deputy attorney general who became attorney general, William Ruckelshaus, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He also refused to do it. So then Nixon fired him. Mm -hmm. And then Bork became the attorney general and he definitely he was like sure so okay so he yeah, also yeah, yeah. was like nixon's like yes man basically his yeah, lackey yeah. he yeah. remained as solicitor general through ford's term which actually kind of surprised me and then he was an advisor to ford's attorney general he went back to yale i mean this was all also very controversial like people were really pissed at him at the time that he mm-hmm. participated, but again, he keeps giving like, well, I'm just following the rule, like has yeah. this sense of like, I'm just Hiding the rule the guy. Um, of the law. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then he, after his stint in politics, he goes back to Yale. His first wife, which who I'll talk about, she dies of cancer and he goes back to Chicago or to his Chicago law firm that had a branch in Washington. And he just goes back to like private practice. And then other kind of shitty things. When he was a um, professor, he opposed a Yale Law School policy barring the campus from recruiters whose firms discriminated against gay people. His quote is, homosexuality is obviously not an unchangeable condition like race (laughs) or gender. Homosexual behavior, it is relevant to observe, is criminal in many states. (laughs) 
Yep. And in several speeches in the 80s, Bork um, was publicly very much in support of Reagan's efforts to promote prayer in public schools and to allow federal aid to religious schools. Mm-hmm. So he, this is his jam. So Reagan is now president and he is looking for people who are conservative to name to you know, mm-hmm. judge ships. So that's when he gets named to the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C. And that's in okay. 1982. Mm. So that when he's at that level is when he decides this American cyanamid case. Case. Okay. Yes. And in a Washington Post article, I'll link all of this. Um, there's there's a quote of explaining that Sometimes, and I know I'm doing this. I'm like, Bork, what a dick. But <laughs> that people like either the conservatives like hold him up as a demigod or people on the left like hate him. But apparently, like, even people who hated him, who knew him, would say that he was very charming, very smart, and had like a very sharp wit. And mm-hmm. that he was like very engaging. You know, okay. and that he and he was also known in both both people who liked him and didn't like him would agree that he would get bored easily, like he would get restless. I think even when you look at his career, he's kind of like back and forth, like private lawyer, professor, pol- political appointee, like all over the place. Um, and apparently he was like a chain smoker and had a, quote, fondness for large meals and martinis. OK, <laughs> so okay. Now, he's a district court of appeals judge. He was even getting antsy there. And he was he really wanted to be nominated to the Supreme Court, but Reagan nominated Scalia. And okay. then another spot opens up and Reagan does nominate him. He's trying really hard to lock down the conservative social agenda, which is like religion and Christianity in public schools, expanding police powers, ending affirmative action, banning abortion, like the exact list of things that is happening Mm -hmm. right now um, in the 80s with Reagan was also the agenda. Mm -hmm. And then that's when this super, super heated hearing happens where he's just getting grilled about his positions on all of these things, like his anti-civil rights position, his pro-poll tax position, his like it's cool to sterilize women at work position. Like all Mm -hmm. of these things get laid out. So Ted Kennedy was a Senator at that time and gets on the floor and gives this speech that just like sets people on fire. So this is what Ted Kennedy says. Robert Bork's America is a land in which women would be forced into back alley abortions. Blacks would sit at segregated lunch counters. Rogue police could break down citizens doors in midnight raids. School children could not be taught about evolution. Writers and artists could be censored at the whim of the government and the doors of the federal courts would be shut on the fingers of millions of citizens for whom the judiciary is and is often the only protector of the individual rights that are at the heart of our democracy. President Reagan is still our president, but he should not be able to reach out from the muck of Iran gate, reach into the muck of Watergate and impose his reactionary vision of the Constitution on the Supreme Court and the next generation of Americans. No justice would be better than this injustice. Hmm. Mic drop. Hmm. Um, I forgot the list there. Bork also supported restricting freedom of speech to not include um, scientific information or artistic expression. So I'm not really mm-hmm. sure like what it protects at that point, like very mm-hmm. clearly political speech, I guess. Anyway, Bork fires back that like none of that is true. Um, you know, like he's exaggerating. Um, but the speech, of course, the people opposed to Bork are like, not really actually look at your record. Like this is pretty well established. And it ends up the 
that Kennedy kind of drawing attention, distilling it in that way, um, ends up blasting Bork enough that he can't get enough votes. I think he was short like four votes. It was like 52 to 48. Biden was also involved in this. And so he always carried like a special hatred for Joe Biden. And his second wife is like, she's still alive and still hates Joe Biden and writes about that. Um, Mm. But anyway, he doesn't get through. And then Anthony Kennedy gets that Supreme Court seat Mm. instead. So his first wife, Clary, mentioned she was Jewish. And the only thing I found that I could like not barf on my computer for was that he demanded he was a you know at a law firm and he knew his partners were discriminating against jewish um applicants and so he he basically was like took a stand against that at his law firm um that's really the only time i could find anything he did that i thought the one time where it's something (laughs) personal which is also a shocker oh it affects you so now you're on board got it okay (sighs) okay so this is all of this i thought was like eerie and how modern and the connections all felt. But this is when it starts to get like, wow, uh, this is, we cannot escape white women's fuckery. So he, his first wife dies. He remarries this woman named Mary Ellen Pohl, now Mary Bork. And she was a former nun who left being a nun a couple years before they met, I think. And she is like a super conservative reproductive rights activist who's the president of the Thomas More Society and a freelance writer on Catholic life and culture and involved in all sorts of different organizations like um, the John Carroll Society, uh, the Theology of the Body, the Catholic Campaign for America, and the Susan B. Anthony List. Have you ever heard of this organization? No. No. Okay. The So the Susan B. Anthony list, of course, I had to look this up because, you know, our love for Susan B. Anthony on this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So apparently it was it's a a, an organization dedicated to promoting pro-life candidates who are women for political office. How does Susan B. get wrapped into that? I couldn't find it. I was digging their <laughs> website and it got to the point where I was like, I don't really want this in my algorithm. But she, <laughs> I couldn't really tell. I think they were like, we admire Susan B. Anthony like fighting for women. And that's what we do. And we want to promote women candidates who will fight for the fetus, I guess. I wonder if Susan B. ever had any stated stances on abortion. But I don't know. She was never married right i'm trying to remember what her like not that we have any business knowing about her sex life wasn't she involved with a woman for a while i don't know we'll have to go back and look at that but Mm -hmm. anyway um it was founded by this woman marjorie dannenfelser who um oh i guess they yes they said that susan b anthony also fiercely opposed abortion we need to look into that i don't know all the details about that but um she, Marjorie Jones Dannenfelser, um, was the pro-choice chair of the Duke University College Republicans when she was in college and then spent a summer at the Heritage Foundation for Rep- Republican internship program. And then apparently mm-hmm. there was the summer that she was there. Um there was some sort of like huge fallout between social conservatives and libertarians involved in the internship program over a pornography video 
I want to know more about what that argument was, but apparently <laughs> that led her to convert to Catholicism. And then she founded this organization, the Susan B. Anthony list. Okay. Oh, this is what I'm finding just really quickly, like looking this yes. up, is that apparently since about 1989, some anti-abortion feminists have asserted that Anthony was anti-abortion and would support that side of the modern debate over the issue. And then it talks about Marjorie Dannon Felser, president of the Susan B. Anthony list, um, who said that Anthony was anti-abortion. But other scholars have disagreed strongly saying that Anthony showed little interest in the issue of abortion and never expressed opposition to it, and that the quotes that have been attributed to her were either not from her or were taken <laughs> out of context. I'm so, shocked. Yeah, white <sighs> women just twisting shit around twisting to fit the narrative that I they that. like. That's, I don't know. It's I amazing. I can't believe it. Well, they claim that they have almost a million people involved in this organization. And it's like a family of organizations that are all focused on trying to, quote, maximize election outcomes to enhance policy research and education for policymakers and the public. This is from their website. We combine politics with policy, investing heavily in voter education to ensure that pro-life Americans know where their lawmakers stand on protecting the unborn and in issue advocacy, advancing pro-life laws through direct lobbying and grassroots campaigns. Um President Donald J. Trump is quoted on their website saying, quote, I want to thank you for the great job you did. It was amazing. Everyone is talking about it. They say you knocked on one million doors. Boy, that's a lot of doors. That's huge. I hate him so he much. Boy, worst. that's a lot of doors. You <laughs> idiot. Okay, so I just like can't even believe it. Okay, so they also on their website have a like a little page or link or whatever that says Hyde saves lives. The Hyde Amendment and policies like it have for decades saved lives by blocking public support for abortion. But now President Biden, who supported these measures for decades in Congress, wants to repeal these life-saving policies. And I just held my hand. Like how we we just read all the stats about mm -hmm. the the reduction in death of mm -hmm. women be, because or the that when right that when the Hyde Amendment was passed that it actually like absolutely hurts women who are currently living and then either die or get harmed. It just is so frustrating. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I, it will not surprise you that they also have like an offshoot group that's focused on fighting for transparent, secure, and accountable elections voters can trust. So they've it's like a whole um, basically like a stop the steal kind of wing of their organization. Mm -hmm. And they've got a whole list of resources you can link on to talk about adoption and pregnancy decision line, abortion pill reversal, it may not be too late. Um, and then abortion changes you colon begin healing now, like a whole bunch of like helplines, this, that, whatever, but they're very involved in this. It seems like they have multiple wings, like election issues, candidate running people like supporting yeah. candidates, especially women who are quote pro-life. Okay. So, so I love this other quote that I found really quick great because I feel like it just describes everything that we've talked about with white women commemorating things and like changing history. Um, there's this author who said, <clears throat> the belief that Anthony opposed abortion is far-fetched. 
She describes it as what historians call an invented memory, Mm. history without foundation in the evidence, but with modern utility. Who said that? What was that quote from? um, Last name is Gordon. I think it's somebody that wrote. um, It's Anne D. Gordon. Not sure who she was, but she gathered like a bunch of documents from Susan B. and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and like Hmm. went through things. So, okay, so she's a American research professor in the Department of History at Rutgers University and editors of the papers of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Um, So, yeah, she calls this whole use of Susan B. Anthony as a pro-lifer and invented memory with... No historical foundation, but mm. a lot of modern utility, which mm. sounds like exactly what mm-hmm. the white women of movements today are also working. There's an article that, that totally depressed me thoroughly um, in the Atlantic this week. That was about it's basically like tracking all of the moves that have been happening at the state level to facilitate a coup, basically, in the next election. Mm-hmm. And in it, they, um, the reporter keeps going back to this rally that he's at and interviewing different people who are there and that they, they keep quoting George Washington. They're like, yeah, George Washington said that, man, like, that's what we're talking about. And so the reporter goes back. He's like, there's no record that George Washington said anything like that. You know, like, I think yeah. it is this, like, who are these figures? Can we invent or extrapolate a quote from them that that lets us off the hook or that like gives us some sort of credibility or backing or support and then go to town. So yeah, not like, I mean, whether they call themselves Susan B. Anthony or like whatever they call themselves, this is their, what they're up to. So his, his widow is super involved with this group and many other organizations and writes all about these things. And, and also, has been writing a lot about how much she hates Biden um, and that like blames Biden for Bork not getting a seat on the Supreme court. Um, But the, the Bork hearing was actually one of the early confirmation hearings that was like a very partisan public hearing uh, for Supreme court nominations. The last Mm -hmm. thing I wanted, this is where Florence Kennedy comes into play. So apparently the word borking is a verb. <laughs> it's a thing. Okay. Yeah. Which I was super excited to hear mm-hmm. about. Um, this was apparently, uh, there's different attributions to this, but William Sapphire was a columnist and in the late 80s um, wrote in an article as the hearing was going on, let's just hope something enduring results for the justice to be like a new verb, borked, um, <laughs> which reminded me when Dan Savage asked his readers of his column Savage Live to come up with a word for Santorum, for Rick Santorum. Oh, yeah. Did you see this? And it's like <laughs> the it. frothy mix of like <laughs> cum and shit, basically. And like that's what Santorum is going to mean. Um, so basically the like people kind of launched, latched onto this idea that Bork should mean something. And so at the 1991 conference of the National Organization for Women in New York, Florence Kennedy, your favorite person, I think we mm-hmm. have talked about in a long time, um, was actually speaking at that time about trying to defeat Clarence Thomas's nomination. Mm. And she said, we're going to Bork him. We're going to kill him <laughs> politically. This little creep, where did he come from? <laughs> He didn't get borked, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. But I 
I like that. So basically, the the word Boric in 2002, the Oxford English Dictionary added this as slang in the US. And it means to defame or vilify a person systematically, especially in the mass media, to prevent his or her appointment to public office to obstruct or thwart a person in this way. Although earlier, apparently, the in way DC, of telling the truth. Yeah, I know, like laying out their actual bullshit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what's sad is like to be borked, it, like gains you popularity in some circles, I'm sure. Like, yeah. To, yeah. you know, what? I, it's also depressing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But apparently, his colleagues in DC, where he was the circuit court, apparently, with the, among them, they had used the term to get borked to mean a conservative judicial decision with legal interpretation disagreements. Um, so to to get borked was basically to have this like originalism applied by mm. you. And then Brett Kavanaugh, during his confirmation hearing recently that we were all riveted mm. to, he stated, quote, the behavior of several of the Democratic members of this committee at my hearing a few weeks ago was an embarrassment but at least it was just a good old fashioned attempt at borking, which makes me hate him even more. Even which I didn't as if think that was possible. possible. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that's that's amazing. So Seeing honestly, like way the... more connections than yeah. I thought we would get into. It's what started as an interest in these women who got sterilized so that they could keep a job that made them do something with lead paint mm-hmm. um who knew it would lead us to, to robert bork and, and yeah. susan b anthony and florence kennedy and all these different places and white women changing <laughs> history for their own devious purposes yeah. as always oh yeah so i mean i guess we took this to a full episode <laughs> again it's okay. <laughs> Everyone's like, we know you wanted to listen to this. Furiously <laughs> scrubbing dishes or like driving faster than they should or, you know, like angry walking their dog or whatever you do when you listen. But all but these connections are just, they really are fascinating, horrifying. Are. But like, it is just so connected. Well, and I don't, and... maybe this is super naive, but a little tiny part of me was like, oh, it was also super shitty and awful for all of this in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's gotten like further entrenched and it's just part of a decades long strategy, but reading. And it's so sad that we haven't moved on, that we're still like yeah. in the same place as yes. we were then. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I, I know. And I, to this point, um, the quote that you just read about people like misattributing Susan B. Anthony and kind of inventing quotes. I, mm-hmm. I know that we have staked out our position that like white women are shitty. And then here's all this evidence that to back that up. <laughs> but I, I hope that it's clear that we're rooting what we're learning about in really well-established awesome scholarship like this book by Jennifer Nelson that we read. And, you know, I'm thinking of Stephanie Jones Rogers books that we read, like all of these great scholars that we're relying on their scholarship. I, I think the conclusion we've come to and that we keep coming to, and that gets deepened by our learning is how complicit white women have been. And that's very different than saying, 
like the, when conservative scho- scholars or conservative commentators or whoever are like, my personal hero, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, <laughs> blah, 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 like whatever it yeah. is, it's like there's no fucking way you understand his life or his work right. because the conclusions you're drawing are completely opposite of his entire life's work. Yep. It's like pulling out one quote, decontextualizing it, like I want little kids to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. You know, I I just want to be careful that we are willing to be open to evidence to the contrary or that things are complicated and fraught yeah. and, you know, complex. Yeah. Um, but Which I, I don't... think is why we read this entire book in the first place, yeah, just to sure. like investigate that um, disconnect between what most moderate white feminists were working for with reproductive rights and how that didn't represent a lot mm-hmm. of women of color or women with less means or, you know. There are definitely nuances, and and if you ignore those, then you're definitely missing a huge part of the story. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, mm. so there's a journey for you. Mm. Very interesting. Thanks for looking into all of those things. And I am looking forward to re-listening in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, me too. Um, to Bree and Susan and Kara, because I know, I mean, we record these things and we're obviously present when it's happening so we're part Mm -hmm. of it but then even when I go back and like edit and post them there Mm -hmm. seems to be new things that like come Mm -hmm. out and then I always listen to it after it gets posted and there's still other things that I take from it so I think that multiple listens are definitely in order especially for our interview podcasts because they're just fascinating and amazing incredible guests we really do Yeah. yeah well okay to Everybody, those of you who are celebrating holidays, happy holidays. If you aren't, just love to you regardless. And we will circle back in a couple of weeks. So I, yeah. I'm excited for our next round of, of things. And we're always excited about everything, even though we're simultaneously depressed. <laughs> but so much comes out of it that just feels like at least we're learning something and trying to yeah. move in a better direction. And it is influencing my, like, I see this changing my practice and changing my life. Like, it really is making a difference Yeah, I've thought about that. I mean, I know we've, like, been wrapping up for, like, seven minutes now, but (laughs) (laughs) let me add one more thing. I mean, I've thought about that so much, just wrapping this year up. Mm -hmm. Like, when, for some reason, like, The Wizard of Oz comes to me and, like, Mm -hmm. revealing the man behind the curtain, and once you see that there's mm-hmm. a man behind the curtain like the facade and the you know everything about the wizard just like you can't go back mm-hmm. to believing that there's a wizard in charge mm-hmm. because you've seen the man behind the curtain and that's what it seems mm-hmm. like so much of this year with this podcast with politics with so many other things even just personally like mm-hmm. has just been a pushing the curtain back And as much as it seems like things kind of crumble and fall apart in that, there's also an opportunity for more learning, more growth, Mm -hmm. new stuff that I think is more exciting than the fear of, of keeping the curtain there, you know? Well, and I do think, especially for people who are privileged or advantaged in some way, like whether it's through our racialized identity or it's through our, like sexual identity, whatever it is that there are temptations to just pull that curtain back and then pretend that the wizard is real. And like, yeah, you know, to keep on 
performing that this it's all fine and everything is okay. You know, there, I, that's how these systems keep going is because enough people either refuse to look behind the curtain or see behind the curtain and then like quick pull it back and be like, nothing to see here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I think for us to hold each other accountable, to keep our eyes focused on that, like little man pulling the gears, you know, and recognize how we're involved in that and try to do whatever we can to stop it. I think that's super important. So I'd love to reach out to people in the new year and just think about like, what are your, I'm not a huge resolutions person, but I would really like to know, hear from listeners, like what, what is this podcast changing for you in like really concrete Mm -hmm. ways or what is your learning doing for you in concrete ways? So if anybody wants to tell us, reach out, we'll ask more specifically for that, but We want to know. We love to hear from people. Yep. All right. New Year's resolution, better social media. So it makes it easier for everybody to share. (laughs) I swear to God, we'll get our act together. Seriously. (laughs) (sighs) All right, guys. Enjoy yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.